0: Are good to go with, with more of the Matt Wire show coming to you direct and live. What we've got here is failure to mutate. Here we go, rolling along with you. Here I'm Matt in the bureau, hour two underway on this Tuesday. Hit me up, you can comment on the live stream. You can text me, you can call me. Text me on the country please and text line 885 ESPN or 885 3776. Call me, be like Brandon, we get to hear your voice on the Davini equipment phone line, Davini equipment in Madison and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer, the oldest Kubota dealer in the US in fact, means they've been doing it better longer than anyone else right here at home. That's Davini. All right, so get them on in here. We had some folks that were talking to each other on the uh, live stream a little bit ago uh and and there was it looks to me I didn't read all of it but it looks to me like there was a recruiting conversation going on on uh, YouTube and I kind of almost feel bad for y'all that you listen to the show and maybe you want to hear some recruiting and I almost never talk about it I just don't know it and and follow it and it's kind of like trying to well, what was that term somebody used last week like trying to nail Jello to the wall? And I mean, it's like at, at least now we can, everybody can cheat because it's no longer cheating, you know. It used to it was only a few that could do it. Todd says on YouTube uh, the transfer portal has changed recruiting tremendously and it definitely has that um I mean, it's tremendously Regarding recruiting, Franklin said on YouTube, I just don't want Mississippi State to become the uh, uh, league's doormat uh, when they know they have the potential to do better. He's lamenting Mississippi State recruiting. Uh, Todd brought up that all those four- and five-star players that went to Texas A&M, there's no no way that half of them will stay in two years. They're going to be playing somewhere else. He said there's not enough footballs to go around and Coop commented on YouTube and said Leach will be all right. He never had a top 40 recruiting class at Washington State and he won. And he has way more talent to work with at Mississippi State. And the other thing too that I bring up about recruiting rankings, you know, I know that the whole like if you want to call it the recruiting industry that will adjust in certain ways to to the portal cuz they're they're starting to I guess they're still figuring out a way to evaluate who does what in the portal. The thing is, though, that's my deal. It's like there used to be one way, primarily, to get 99.9% of your players on your roster, and that was through signing them out of high school and junior college, and those were part of signing classes. And each year that the whole industry had kind of gotten figured out a way to, we're going to judge this signing class this way, and you stack them up, and generally, the tops were the tops, and the mids were the mids, and then there was everybody else, right? But with the transfer portal, it's really changed the way these teams are capable of building a roster. And if you look, I mean, Ole Miss is a primary example of that. They are now going on their second year of their philosophy is to build their roster in the transfer portal, not necessarily in high school recruiting. I mean, there's, there's still some high school recruiting going on. I mean, you have to. you got, you got to have 85 scholarship players. you got to do 25 every year for now. But their, their emphasis seems to be, let's go get out of the portal, older guys, bring them in, free agents, play them. That's what they're going to have this year. You're going to have a team that, in some ways, there's parts of Ole Miss's team that's kind of unknown. They're really good on paper. It's just they haven't played together yet at that school. Hmm. And nobody's saying that's good or bad. We'll see how it plays out. The thing that I'm saying, though, is on the recruiting side, how do they judge that? How do they evaluate that? Right? I mean, based on recruiting rankings, do they say, you know, Ole Miss has recruited this way over the last two, three years. And therefore, this is the way we used to stack them up. If they recruited this way, we slot them about here in our projections for the league. Well, not really anymore. Because they went and got some great player from TCU as a running back and a, a receiver and a quarterback from USC. Is it, You get what I'm saying? What, I guess what I'm saying is, this natural correlation that we've been going by and the, the the industry has sort of been trying to tweak and perfect it over the last 15 to 20, 25 years, of uh, the correlation between recruiting, signing class rankings, and how it played out on the field four to five years later of each one. You would judge it a certain way. You were looking at a team's roster and their rosters In a certain way, based on the way they've recruited, which was recruiting and signing people out of high school. Well, what about now, though? We're going to look up next year and the year after, 23 and 24, and you're going to have a team like SMU out in Dallas. Three-fourths of their team will be kids who transferred in there that did not sign with them out of high school. Now what about recruiting rankings? You better have portal rankings. (laughs) you better figure out how to evaluate that. And you couldn't, you wouldn't just lazily transcribe whatever a kid was coming out of high school into what he is now as a transfer two years later. You wouldn't do that. So, yes, to whoever commented and said that the transfer portal has really changed recruiting, you know, He said Transfer Report has changed recruiting tremendously. It has, but it's also changed the roster makeups tremendously. And going to continue to change them tremendously. And it's still, because it's so new, it's going to take several more years to really get a good cross-section of examples. of How is this affecting the numbers of kids signing out of high school? How is this affecting junior colleges? I would think that right now the transfer portal has dealt a major blow to junior colleges around the country. That's what I would guess. Especially those that were most interested in football and always getting good players, transferring out of D1 schools. They were a stopover for a year or two until their eligibility reset per the transfer rules and they come back out and go to another four-year, play for two years, and they're in the NFL. Montez Sweat. Right? Goes to Michigan, transfer, he's got to transfer out. It says if he goes immediately D1, he's got to sit out. So he don't want to sit out. So he goes and plays at Colin Community College. Comes out of COLIN Community College back to Mississippi State. Boom, boom. All SEC, two years in a row, first round draft pick, making millions now for Washington in the NFL. They don't have to do that now. Montez Sweat does not have to do that now, does he? He does not have to go to COLIN Community College. Unless, unless you know what I don't know what what he just go straight to D one, not sit out, still hold on to a red shirt. I would think that it's going to cut down on the numbers of the really high level athletes and D one ball players that are playing a year or two. Malik Willis, he just went and got drafted as a quarterback out of Liberty. We forget he started at Auburn. I mean, he didn't. He wasn't a starting quarterback. He started his career at Auburn, out of high school, and it just didn't work out. He leaves. Well, he went to Colen Community College played there. He was on the same team with Sweat, wasn't he? I know he and Heath were on the same team, Malik Heath, at COLIN. And, you know, a guy like Malik Willis, under these transfer rules, does Malik Willis ever play a snap for Colen Community College in Wesson? Probably not. So that's one aspect of this transfer portal thing that really nobody has talked about, or even brought, I haven't heard anybody bring it up talk about it, is the effect that it has on the Ju- JUCO football system. I'd be really curious to see what, what those coaches at that level are saying about how it's changed their lives and their jobs, for Sure. All right, unnamed texter, country, please. And text line says, what if all these conference moves were not for football but to shake up the basketball side of things? Yeah, I'm going to need some help on that one, though, to tell me what you mean, because what would – no, uh uh-uh. I mean, it's a football thing for sure, because that's where the revenue is coming for these conferences and for these schools through their conferences via those TV deals okay so it's it's football we know that the the basketball postseason is run by the NCAA and it goes that that profit goes into that collective if you want to call it that to run the postseason events but football doesn't football does not go to the NCAA NCAA as a body does not get a dime of football postseason money it's all conferences and schools and so that's what they're interested in Jason and Flagstaff says, I wonder how Coach Snyder, that'd be Bill Snyder, former coach at Kansas State, and Coach Sherrill would have made out with a transfer portal and how well they did with JUCO signings, which is about to not exist anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no joke. I mean, the way that Coach Snyder recruited junior college and they even did transfer stuff when he was at Kansas State and managed that. And then, you know, Coach Sherrill recruiting JUCO kids out of the Mississippi Junior Colleges to Mississippi State, you look at those defenses in the late '90s that we won ten games. We won the West Division, played in Atlanta in the championship game, and you had defenses that were number one in the country, built on junior college guys, primarily. Well, maybe primarily is not the right word. Uh, specifically, <laughs> built on junior college guys. A bunch of those JUCO guys came and played on our defenses, and then were there two years, and then boom right onto the nfl it's just a it's a totally different game that the coaches are playing now and don't you find that interesting jason i i mean i do it's almost like a right here with you live on the radio i've got sort of this light bulb going off over my (laughs) head here or or maybe flickering or whatever the light bulb in my head does and i'm going wait a minute now what has this done to juco football Right? I mean, like Cam Newton, when he left Florida, what did he do? He went and played at a JUCO in Kansas for a year. Next thing you know, he pops up at Auburn. His first year at Auburn wins a national championship in a Heisman. Spent a year in JUCO. I bet that was fun for that coach at that junior college. Hey, Cam, we're going to snap it to you. You do whatever you want to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, a big part of what they were doing was – you know, helping big-time ball players hit the reset button on their career, especially those who still had a red shirt in their hand. Meaning, you know, somebody signs with a school out of high school, they go, they report as a freshman, they play, or, you know, they play in four or five games on special teams, or whatever. They didn't redshirt, they didn't burn a redshirt year, they still have it, and they would leave and go to junior college. Redshirt year in hand, play one year or two if the academics required that, come out of it, and and have, as you've heard him say, he'd have what? Two years to three years to play two. That means technically three, you know, calendar years of eligibility because he's holding on to the red shirt year still, but two years to complete on the field, you'd hear that. He's got three years to play two. Well, you know. What about those now? That's just, to me, I mean, those are going away. That's just going to go away. What is the incentive? And I hate it for East Mississippi Community College, Mississippi Gulf Coast, and Northeast, and Ittawamba. And like I say, I'm, I'm only speculating as I try to figure this out in my head, Jason. You're from the area, and I'm sure all of us here in Mississippi, that junior college football is near and dear. I love it. I always have. Um, like you say, had a bunch of great teammates that came out of that system, played at Hines and everywhere. Holmes, what about now? What, what is the incentive for any Division one transfer? He's signed and gone to a big-time school. It doesn't work out after a year or two, and he wants to go somewhere else. What is the incentive for that kid to consider junior college? I mean, really, there's just not one. Is it? Unless I'm missing something. That's the one thing we haven't talked about. There's just no incentive for them to to do that. I don't guess. Now, the whole academic non-qualifier stuff, that I don't really understand really clearly. I just get the basic idea, is there are kids who are big-time players, big-time athletes, certainly worthy of stepping into a Division I or FBS weight room, practice field, maybe even play as a freshman. They just don't have the grades, and and maybe that's the role of junior college Um, now. But the guy leaving Florida State, you know, and going to JUCO for a year, and then Popping up out of there, and next thing you know, he's at another D1, gets himself drafted. You know, like they're not going to go to junior college. They're just going to go straight to that place. You don't have to sit out anymore, at least the first time. It's a big deal. No, Jason, um, I think Will retired. He's asking me if Will Colemeyer is still at Northeast. He called him Coalminer. That's what everybody called him. Yeah, he's not – I think he's retired now. But that is something we need to look into and see how that has affected them. In fact, Jason, the more I think about it, a good round of interviews and uh, maybe a video piece to sort of put that together and explain it, really get good, solid opinions on the reality of how it affects junior colleges, I think it would be a good idea. Might be a worthy expenditure of some time and effort right there. All right, thanks for your text, your comments. Just rolling along here with you on this Tuesday. Let's hit it. It is time for our countdown. Something called "90 Teams in 90 Days," counting down to the start of the college football season. Here we go. D-A. D-A. Woo, shoot this thing. Set your watch for 90 midnight. It won't be long. Day, Jerry. All right, here we go. We're going to do three teams today on the countdown, but not all at once. And so we're 53 days, 5-3, from uh, the first Saturday in September. We're going to start with team number 55 and make up some ground. 55 on the countdown from the ACC. Yes, the, yeah, the Atlantic Coast Conference still exists from the ACC, the Cavaliers of Virginia. Here we go. So, Virginia... A year ago it was six and six. They went four and four in the ACC. Six and six, four and four. They balanced that seesaw out perfectly, didn't they? And get this: this year, in sixty-three days, Virginia is going to start the season at home, hosting the Spiders of Richmond. Find me a cooler mascot than the Spiders. Go Wahoos. Anybody know why they say Wahoos at Virginia? I think I've asked that question before and I never really got a great answer. I don't know why they say Wahoos. I looked it up. It goes back to some cheer or something way back when. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, this year's schedule for Virginia, they're going to start the season in 53 days from today against Richmond. Week two, they will travel to Illinois against a Big Ten team there. That'll be an ESPNU televised game, week two. Week three, they are out of conference against Old Dominion. And then, boom, here we go. Conference play. They don't have another non-conference game. Their fourth non-conference game until the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, So, in ACC play this year, Virginia will have road games at Syracuse, at Duke, at Georgia Tech, and at Virginia Tech, they will have home games in the a- ACC against Louisville, Miami, North Carolina, Pitt, and I said They do have a home game late in the year against Coastal Carolina, which is not a walk in the park um, at all. And by the way, so when you look at their schedule, some road games early at Illinois, at Syracuse and Duke, back-to-back, and those are road games late September, early October. But they have a stretch of conference games for – Three straight weeks that are home conference games in late October, early November. Back to back to back. Hosting Miami, hosting North Carolina, and then hosting Pitt. So this is Virginia that we're looking at. As far as last year, you know, one of their stars on last year's team was Keaton Thompson, the former quarterback at Mississippi State, transferred out. They turned him into like a receiver slash running back slash specialty quarterback at Virginia. Um, I don't know if he is still there. I'm going to look that up for you, Jason. That Virginia team last year, they got off to a great start. Started 2-0, and beat the tar out of William & Mary in Week 1, and then beat the tar out of Illinois in Week 2, but then suffered back-to-back losses in conference play to North Carolina and Wake Forest, two good teams. So they start out 2-2 and and then went on a four-game win streak. They won at Miami by 2. They won at Louisville by 1. They beat Duke 48 to nothing and then beat Georgia Tech 48 to 40. Four straight conference wins. They started the season six and two and then finished on a four game losing streak. Their last four games two on the road, two at home, but three of the four teams were ranked teams. And they gave up 66 points to BYU in a loss in Provo, Utah. They gave up 28 to Notre Dame in a loss. They only scored three. And then gave up 48 points to Pitt and Kenny Pickett. Four straight losses to end last season. That's a tough, tough, you know, up and down year for them last year. You got any eligibility left? Does Keeton have a year left? Yeah. Yeah. Looks like he's got a year left at Virginia. And in fact, Keeton Thompson, former Bulldog quarterback. Now turn receiver at Virginia is preseason second team All-ACC heading into 2022. That's what it looks like to me. Enjoy watching him play heck of an athlete for sure. All right, rolling along with you. We'll hit some more teams in the countdown. Coming up, I'm Matt in the Bureau. Show. ready to talk sports the Mississippi way with you. So get in on the conversation and tell him what you think right now. All right, back with you. I'm Matt in the Bureau, Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Really appreciate everybody tuning in on the live stream. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, very much appreciate that. All the comments, streaming it, being a part of the conversation. If you don't mind, hit me a like right there, share it around. Coop, Franklin, everybody, thanks so much. Bring a friend next time. We'll spread it around. And thanks for the text on the country-pleasing text line. Country-pleasing sausage. I'm going to be going and buying some here soon. I'm looking forward to getting black pepper and cheddar, one of my favorite flavors. It is great in the morning. Yes, sir. And green pepper jack and green onion. Make your tongue slap your head off. It's that good. Jason in Flagstaff said, I'm always going to wonder what state could have been had Mullen stayed for Nick Fitzgerald's senior year with Keaton Thompson waiting there. Maybe 20 wins or more in those two seasons, given the defenses. And then he had the crying emoji. He said, I bet Mullen wonders now, too. I mean, can you imagine? I'm sure that Dan Mullen, with all those millions and millions of dollars in the bank and buyout money, probably doesn't care all that much. But if you're just looking at it from a football perspective, Fitzgerald coming back, you had Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, and Jonathan Abram on one defense (laughs) who all wound up being first-round picks. You had them in, what, uh, 18 and... Well, you had them in 18. Oh, yeah. Keaton there backing him up and had he stuck around after what they almost pulled off in 17. They were right there on the cusp and then he tried to cash it in with Florida. He did literally cash it in, but Florida cashed him in and now he's out there, but maybe that's what he wanted. If it doesn't work out, we'll throw millions of dollars in the bank and right off into the sunset I'll be a dad for a few years and and maybe he comes out the winner in it all anyway. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All right, I want to bring something up to you, kind of a sad note, but for those of us, Jason, me, you, others, Brandon who was listening earlier, we're kind of the same age. This is a name that I saw over the weekend, a sad note. Um, former Michigan coach Gary Moeller, who, you know, he succeeded Bo Beckler at Michigan, uh, in 1990, he led the Wolverines to three Big Ten titles in five seasons. He passed away yesterday. He was 81 years old. Um, the cause was not specified as far as the cause of death. He had a record of 44-13 and 13 in five seasons from 90 to 94 uh, just before Coach Carr. And let me tell you, they had some good teams at Michigan. Certainly the records there proved that. A bunch of great players coming through Michigan at that time. So uh, here's to Gary Moeller, passed away yesterday at the age of 81. The Michigan fight song for you, sir. Here you go. Okay, and speaking of Michigan, this happened after Coach Moeller stopped coaching at Michigan. But speaking of Michigan, I got a Michigan memory for our team, our next team, on the countdown of 90 teams in 90 days. Woo, shoot this thing! Set your watch for 90. Hi, 90. it won't be long. 90 days, Jerry. You can you can hold your heart. Heart. Yes, all right. So this isn't Michigan, but this is a team that we always associate with Michigan. And it's team number 54. 5'4 on the countdown of one I'm sorry, 90 teams in 90 days. So we're at 53. This is team number 54. This team is from the Sun Belt. They went 10 and 4 last year. They are App state. The Appalachian State Mountaineers. Is it Appalachian State? Do you say A or A? What is it? All right. I say... uh, I usually say Appalachian State. Somebody recently talked me into saying Appalachian State. I don't know. Who cares? Appalachian State's a little easier to say. Anyway... The Mountaineers from the Sun Belt were 10-4 and 4 last year. They won the East. I think they won the conference. And, you know, they have s- sort of become the class of the Sun Belt. I mean, they really have. Louisiana, obviously, Louisiana Lafayette, Raging Cajuns, they were 13-1 and 1 last year in a Billy Napier. And as long as he was there, they sort of rose to the top also. But uh, Appalachian State has been very, very good. And the reason I had them associated with – Michigan you know why anybody out there old enough to remember this back in 2007 the upset see this is back 07 this is back um sort of Michigan's heyday you're on the you're on the heels the back end of Michigan's heyday and in, 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 even in it's it sounds like recent but look 2007 <laughs> it's kind of getting away from this was a long time ago it's kind of a long time ago and, and at that time, 2007, the season opener, 2007, Michigan was still this huge, big deal. I mean, they were top five and loaded with NFL stuff, and they just don't lose games like a season opener against App State in the big house in Michigan. And, of course, the famous uh, upset win. Season opener, 2007, it started what was like a coaching change, a little bit of a slide through. Rich Rodriguez, and it took them a while to sort of rebound. Have they really, really rebounded? I mean, they kind of have, but they hadn't really won anything. Have a hard time beating Ohio State. Did that for the first time last year. All this kind of stuff under uh, Jim Harbaugh. And it seems like you can track it all back to that day in 2007, season opener, when the Appalachian State Mountaineers went to the big house and beat them. And the radio call is famous. This is what it sounded like on the home broadcast for App State the day they blocked a field goal to seal the win on the season opener upset of Michigan in the Big House. Here's the radio call 37 yard field goal. This is it. This is it right here. Gensel ready. The snap's good. The hold. The kick's The kick is good. Out. The Mountaineers are going to try to take it's it God it's to the Big House. to the Big House. 20. The Mountaineers have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines! The Mountaineers of Appalachian State have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines in the big house! It's Michigan lining up for a field goal and got it blocked. There's so much in that. I play it for you every year. You know, it's just complete euphoria. Does anybody know what the color announcer actually said? I mean... Bill, the play-by-play announcer is trying his best to do the job. <laughs> yep. And the color guy, like a former player, is just screaming into his microphone. And he says something in the big house, but I don't even know what he said. He probably doesn't even know what he said. He just was yelling <laughs> And something. then, And then you just hear him go, ah, and he's like he runs away. Ah! <laughs> off into the distance uh, in the background there. Um it's just such an iconic deal here. Anybody know what he said? We're going to listen one more time. Anybody know what the color analyst is saying on the App State radio broadcast? 37-yard field goal. This is it. This is it right here. so ready. The snap's good. The whole The kick's ah! The ah! kick is good. Ah! The Mountaineers are going to try to take it's it. It's To the big half. 20, 15. Ah! The Mountaineers <laughs> have just beat the Michigan Wolverines. The Mountaineers of Appalachian State have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines in the Big House. I mean, I don't know those I don't know their names and I know again it's been a long time ago. And and the play-by-play guy, man, he's doing everything he could. The color announcer just loses it right there on radio. That's when you go from you're working the game to you're now you're you're a part of it. <laughs> Screaming and yelling. But he, what did he say? Did he say the guy's name like Something in the big house. I have no clue what that guy said. But anyway, that was, um, you know, to this day for me, you start talking App State football, that's what I think about. A couple of years ago, it might have, let's see, 18, 19-ish, somewhere in there, App State played an early season game, and I think it might have been a season opener even, against Tennessee in Knoxville, and was so close to beating them. I mean, Pretty much whipped them the whole game, and it's one of those things where a couple of things went Tennessee's way at the end, and Tennessee was able to pull it up. They almost did it again, and that was very recent in the last four or five years. All right, so App State was 10-4 and four last year. They were 7-1 and one in the conference, and I'll get to what they did last year. This year, pretty interesting. They're from Boone, North Carolina, right? Beautiful place, Boone, North Carolina, where App State is located. And they're going to start the season in 53 days from today on Saturday, September the 3rd, by hosting North Carolina. Now, I say host. I don't see some asterisk that says neutral site. So if you all know, if it's a neutral site, let me know. But it says they're going to host it, which would be a really cool thing. But anyway, so North Carolina versus App State, two teams from the same state. Yeah, it looks like they are going to host it. Kid Brewer Stadium. Uh the opening weekend. 11 a.m. on ESPNU. Better keep an eye on that one. And then week two, they travel to Texas A&M. This is a good football team now and a good program. You know, Missouri's head coach, Eli Drinkwitz, came from App State. He's a former head coach over there. Uh, They're a good team, good program. You'd expect A&M to beat them week two, but stranger things have happened week two, for sure. You get some film on somebody, you just never know. Let's see. Any other big out-of-conferences? They're going to play Marshall... Out of conference or is Marshall competing in Sunbelt this year? They got the Citadel on their schedule. Yeah. 10-4. and App State has beaten Michigan. Has beaten the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. I'm never going to forget that. All right. Rolling, man. Rolling along. Coming up, Our final team in the countdown for today, and it's a team that's on the schedule of your team, a whole bunch of y'all. Stick around for that. crave your sports it's often difficult to satisfy that special hunger not here because you've got man Wyatt. oh i am starving don't worry he's got a menu full on the zone 105.9 and worldwide all right here we go still got a few minutes with you left thanks for tuning into the show here today it's kind of really i mean for me it's sort of getting the week started missed yesterday glad to be back with you here today Rolling along with you. Feel free to shoot me a text on the country-pleasing text line. Country-pleasing sausage. I got to stock up. But I got one of those um, things, a a rack that goes in the back of your vehicle and fits into the hitch so that you can carry some things and haul some things on that, like a cooler or whatever, without having to pack it into your car. So I got one of those. So we go on vacation this summer. I'm going to put a cooler on that thing with a whole bunch of country-pleasing sausage in it, take it to the beach with me. Just to eat on that all week long. Doesn't that sound great? Yes. Feel free to shoot me a text on that country-pleasing text line, 885-ESPN or 601-885-3776. number Here's a non-sports nugget for you, but, uh, man, I just wanted to hear it. On this day back in 1962 Ray Charles was at number 1 on the UK singles chart with a song called I Can't Stop Loving You I can't stop loving you I'm in a- That was his only number one hit in the UK. It was taken from his Modern Sounds in Country and Western music album. How about that? It's to say, so I'll just live my life. It doesn't get any better than that. That was this day. July the 12th, back in 1962, when that one from Ray Charles went to number one. And I had no idea that he had a, an album, The Modern Sounds and Country and Western Music. I did know that he paired up with Willie Nelson for a song years later, Seven Spanish Angels. One of the best songs and one of the best versions of that song you will ever hear. Well, I mean, it is. You ain't ever going to hear one any better than that. Those two singing that one, Seven Spanish Angels. If you hadn't heard it, give that one a try. Spin that one and tell me how you like it. You will like it. I really believe you'll like it. All right, Um. right. Let's see. Hog Jowl, he texts the show. He said, I think it's outstanding when the hometown announcers are so pro their team. He says, I've never been a... State fan, but I listened to many of their games just to hear Jack Crystal. Oh my goodness, he let everyone know when State got a bad call. <laughs> he he, that's one thing. Yeah, Jack, he would let you know and let everybody know, and sometimes let the officials themselves know, courtside or maybe after the game, if uh, if um, <clears throat> the officials were out of line, <laughs> so to speak. Or made a bad call. You're right about that, hog Jaw, for sure. For sure. All right. It's time to hit team number, what are we now? Oh, yeah. Today's team. Team number 53. We are 53 days away. 5 three. 53 days away. From Saturday, September the 3rd to first big Saturday of college football. Five-three. And we got team number five-three, and it's going to be a team you're going to see. In fifty-three days from today, in a stadium in Mississippi, here we go. D-A. D-A. Woo, shoot this thing. Set your watch for 90. ninety-nine. It won't be long. <laughs> and danger, I know, I know. I played it more than once. We got to hear the in the intro for the thing more than once today. So what? Team number fifty-three, five. Three from the AAC, just north of here, about an hour and a half northwest of where I'm standing right now. The Tigers from Memphis High, Memphis, Memphis State, the Memphis Tigers. Here we go. Uh, yes. Used to be a basketball school. I'm not sure they still are, or or just limited to that. I don't know. Playing their home games in Liberty Bowl Stadium. Got an announcement recently. They're going to get a big facelift. Hey, by the way, did you notice the timing? Did you notice the timing of um, their announcement? Just a couple of weeks ago, two, three, four weeks ago, maybe a maybe a month ago. Hey. Millions of dollars, big facelift for Liberty Bowl Stadium, home of Memphis. Notice that? Right before a next little shake loose of some conference stuff was happening and they were wanting to get into maybe the Big 12 and not get left out. They got left out. So far. (laughs) They've been left out so far. In fact, I was looking up a Memphis preview. By the way, State is going to start the season by hosting Memphis Fifty-three days from today, on September the third, and start. Well, I get to their team here, but I was reading a little preview here, and they they framed it this way about Memphis. Cincinnati won the AAC title for the second year in a row. It's off to the Big Twelve, likely in two thousand twenty-three. UCF, AAC powerhouse for years, boom, off to the Big Twelve. Probably going to start there in two thousand twenty-three. Houston won an AAC title back in two thousand fifteen. They only won one. Houston won one AAC title, (laughs) Big 12. They're in. Memphis has won two AAC titles. Phone didn't ring. It says here Memphis is still sticking around the old league, even though it makes sense geographically. It's a tier one academic institution, has a decent media market, good enrollment, and," and then it goes on to say it stinks. But now Memphis has to make the best of it by positioning itself as the star of the conference. Now, listen to this that's going to soon effectively be a heavier version of Conference USA. Who did the AAC add? Conference USA teams. UAB, yep. So the Mists went to the Sun Belt. UAB and some others go to the AAC. It's a heavier version of Conference USA. That's what it is. So Memphis, be, it's like, it stinks. That's tough. If you're, if you're a Memphis fan, and certainly if you're in administration there. It's tough, but the other side of that is, you're still sitting right here in Memphis, this part of the country. You can schedule games, certainly. And would going to the Big 12 be, I mean, with, with what's happening to the Big 12 now, because the SEC and the Big 10 have separated from everybody else, is it, would it have even been the right time to go ahead and jump into the Big 12. I mean I guess so, but still we're saying long term, we're not sure what the footing is over there even at the Big 12. Not not sure. It seems okay, but long term, you really wouldn't know. It would just kind of be a temporary thing, I believe. So yeah, State's going to host Memphis. And that's after State went there and got beat last year. We remember the officiating snafu. So at listen to the start of their season for Memphis, at Mississippi State, week 1 at Navy In week two, which would be a conference game for them. Then they host Arkansas State, who was a two win team last year, by the way, under Butch Jones, former Tennessee coach. So they've recruited okay, but they're not, I mean, that's going to be a win for Memphis for their home opener. And then they'll finish up September by hosting North Texas. They start October by hosting Temple and then hosting Houston. So they put it this way they're going to start the season on the road back to back. But then, starting on September the 17th, they are home for four straight games at Liberty Bowl Stadium. Arkansas State, North Texas, Temple, and then Houston. Then they hit the road at East Carolina and Tulane back-to-back road games in their conference. Then three straight home games in November. Hosting UCF, hosting Tulsa, and then hosting University of North Alabama, Division II, or maybe they move up to FCS. And their season finale for Memphis will be in Dallas at... SMU, that was a bad loss for State last year. That was a 6-6 and Memphis team that just wasn't that great. I mean, you could see it that day. State's defense in the early part of that game last year was just shutting them down and getting off the field, and then you look up at the end of it and go, man, how'd you give up 31 points? Well, one of those was the kick return deal, but still. I mean, I don't care how you give up 31 points to that Memphis team last year. You just, State can't do that and then only score 29. We've been through it. It was a bad loss for State. Because at that point, Memphis is sitting there high as a kite. They beat Nichols, they beat Arkansas State, and they beat Mississippi State. They're 3-0, and right? Every week after that, that loss for State looked worse and worse. They went on a three-game losing streak, lost to UTSA, lost on the road by three at Temple, lost at Tulsa three straight, They broke their losing streak by beating Navy, then lost to UCF. It was a blowout, not close. They did upset SMU, beat them by three. Back-to-back losses to East Carolina and Houston. Finished the year with a win over Tulane. They were supposed to play at Hawaii, well, yeah, in a bowl game. And it got canceled, the whole thing, so they didn't get to go. But, I mean, a six-win team from that conference and that particular team, that was a bad loss for State. Had to stomach it, though, and they'll get to start the season against Memphis at home in Starkville 53 days from today. Appreciate you tuning in. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. For Bill, Matt, all of us here, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. See you then. See ya.